Hi, you're listening to Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. We are the Everyday Feminist. My name is Lois Volta. I'm here with Dr. Stephanie Heck. Hi. Hi, Lois. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I feel especially like surprised to be good since it's like the Monday after a rainy weekend. It was really rainy. But maybe it's because it's not rainy. <laughs> I'm so relieved. Yeah, it's been really cloudy here in Philadelphia, though, the last week. And I think this week is pretty cloudy, too. Yeah, Philly gets that way mm-hmm. in winter. Yeah, and then the does. sun goes down early and it's like it. you think it's 1030 and it's really 630. And yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm managing. I'm managing all That's of that. Good. How yeah. about you? I am, too. I am... Um, I've been in the forest a lot. I've gotten to get into the Wissahickon a lot this week. I think I was there like five times this past week. I went again this morning, just walking with my dog. The Wissahickon is beautiful. And for all you listeners in Germantown, Mount Airy, Northwest, we all know how special the park is. It is a gem. And for all of you people who don't live near here, who are listening on the podcast, Philly has, what is it, the biggest park in North America? That stretches that's through in a the city. city. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of trails and It's really gorgeous. And, and, beautiful. The, and the rocks sparkle. And it's just, with the mist, actually, has been kind of unbelievable and magical. And, you know, I mean, I could go on and on about the <laughs> healing, beautiful powers of the Wissahickon. But Mother Nature. You know, she lives there. Thank you, Mother Nature. She really does. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not hurt her, yeah. please. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've been doing good. Great, great. Well, I thought today that we could talk about this article that I found and turned out that you also had found in the New York Times. I think it's an opinion piece, mm-hmm. really, more than mm-hmm. like a news piece. Really, really struck me as true on many levels about many things um, that sort of are like subcategories to the category. So the the title is, Why Aren't More People Marrying? And then I guess the answer to that question, also part of the title, is Ask Women What Dating Is Like. In other words, want to know why people aren't marrying? Maybe try asking women what dating is like. Right. Well, first of all, can I ask you, I'm going to ask you a question. You don't need to go deep if you don't want to. But what are your thoughts on institutional marriage or marriage in general because I know you were married before I was married before I don't really know how I feel about marriage I have some thoughts but what are your thoughts well I mean it's interesting to think about the countries where women aren't marrying at all intentionally I mean I have mixed feelings about marriage I mean you know above all in reality I know that there's all kinds of spiritual and love ideas about marriage and you know the religious aspects and all of that which I respect that but in the end it's a legal contract which you don't fully appreciate until you have to break it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, right. And you see that really what it comes down to is dividing up time and money, right. Or property in a way that actually kind of makes it sad, sort of like a sad thing for a marriage to end. And it's certainly sad to see the, the way that it's really just constructed on kind of like properties and technicalities or health insurance that you're going to, you know, that those kinds of things that change if you're married versus not married. Mm-hmm. I also have a feelings about what it's like to become unmarried when you have been married, especially as a woman. And I don't know how it is as a man. I'm sure that for men, it's 
hard in a different set of ways. But I noticed being unmarried that I was suddenly treated differently. Oh, yeah. You know, and so that those kinds of things go into then how you feel about marriage as a construct when you're kind of like you've gone through all of that, when you've seen it almost like through a full cycle of beginning, middle and end and then post end. So I I don't know. I mean, there are some things about marriage that I think is kind of lovely. Certainly the idea that someone will be there if you're sick, I think is amazing. And you don't have to be married for that to happen. But if you're sick, someone can have say over what happens to you legally, like in a hospital. Yeah. So marriage is used just to have a support system. A support system and presumably there would be love in the support system. That's certainly what we would want. But really, it's a legal and financial contract. I think a lot of women find security in marriage, probably partly because women still are not men's economic equals. And so there is a feeling, I'm sure, that like, okay, like I'll be able to make it. I mean, this is all apart from the religious bond and all of the other lovely things that lead people to get married, the love, the wish to start a family and all of the things that are associated with having, you have to be married to do them. Mm -hmm. At least that's how the, the story goes in our country. That's what's expected. Yeah. But I don't know if that's answering your question about marriage, but I, I don't know. I have at this point, I have seen a lot of married women really struggling inside of their marriage with wanting to have their husbands kind of wake up today, yet again, today, even just today, I heard a story about a woman whose husband, rather than listening to her talk about things that were hard for her, said, you know, she needs, she's clearly depressed. She needs to call a psychiatrist. She needs to deal with her anxiety disorder, right? He went toward like, um, like a character attribution. So it's sort of like she's telling him how he feels and he's actually making what social psychologists call the fundamental attribution error where he attributes her behaviors and thoughts and feelings to her disposition. He doesn't look at her situation because that maybe would involve him, right? So that kind of stuff, I feel like I hear these stories lately Maybe as women, you know, post Barbie movie, post Taylor Swift, post shows like ours, as women are able to say more and see more and feel more frustration because life becomes more and more and more impossible within a marriage, especially with kids. And they're feeling the squeeze of it and it's all on them. And they try to talk to their partners and their partners don't know what they're talking about. Sort of like I hear this kind of friction more and more. Mm hmm. So that's like, to me, it's, it's like, makes me feel like, why, why bother? I don't know if I would ever get married again. I feel like I would have to really be convinced. <laughs> right. I mean, like, go ahead and try. <laughs> but the, I, the idea of having a partnership of harmonious living, of building a life together, growing old with someone that to me is very appealing. I just don't understand why I would need to put a legal document in it. Well, there's also the idea of a retirement plan, right? It's like, let's say somebody comes along who, if you get married, if something were to happen to him, he can know that you financially would be taken care of, right? Or that then you are the recipient or the beneficiary of money he's collected over time. And that's a thing 
that he would want you to have. Mm-hmm. Right. So there again, it gets back to like women and men not being economic equals because I'm sure that that has to figure in for a lot of women. Can't you just put that in a will? Do you have to get married right, but, for that but to happen? Wills can be taken apart by family members. They can be burned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been through that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like someone really can kind of come in and undo things. You just don't know how nasty people could get. So if there were like kids or something, you know, there is something I think about. And it's not to say that that can't happen even if someone is married because ugly things happen after someone passes away. Families can really lose it, um, especially when it comes to property division. Mm-hmm. But there's, it's probably more likely, right? So there's something to me for marriage that just gets centered on security, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that feeling of partnership or the idea that you won't grow old alone. We're also talking uh, from a certain age point. Young people have a different view of marriage. I even, I mean, I have three girls and it's not like they're looking for marriage. Obviously they're teenagers, but they talk about on my wedding day, I will blah, 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 blah. I'm like, your wedding day? Oh my God. What? I can't. Yeah, I never, no. I never <laughs> could have related to that. I, be, I think that people, I think I was kind of an anomaly because when I was getting married, everyone was like, oh, well, what would you, what had you always dreamed about? And I was like, nothing. I didn't even understand. Like I was a doctoral student when I got married. Like Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I had gotten my master's degree. I had passed my comps. I was very close to being finished and getting a PhD. And everyone thought all of a sudden thought of me as a bride. And it was like my identity began and ended with that. Like, that was the only way. I mean, I can't say that was true. It's not like that was true with my whatever professors or within my program or with my peers. But certainly in my family, suddenly they were very comfortable with me in that role. That was a very comfortable role. And so, you know, as a psychologist, I sat there, or a future psychologist, I sat there analyzing it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and feeling a big sigh, you know. So I, I don't know. I didn't feel like that. Like, oh, I can't wait. Oh, I, I want to be this kind of bride. That just wasn't me. When I was a, when I was young, I wanted to be, I definitely wanted to be a young mom. I liked the idea of getting married. Young, it, I also grew up in the church. So I was like a, the young Christian couple who got married and had babies young. I mean, I got married when I was 20. I had my oldest mm-hmm. when I was 22. To me, it was like, that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, I, you know, I really don't have any regrets about that. There's certain things I'm like, well, I didn't go to school. I didn't do this. My 20s, I was either carrying a human in my body or... In your arms. (laughs) In my arms, yeah. Yeah, but so, like, I missed my 20s, I guess, in in certain terms, whatever. I don't know. I just just have a hard time feeling like that I identify with that way of looking at the fairy tale, the ideal of, of what marriage is supposed to be, because I've had enough experiences to realize it's just a fairy tale. Right. Or it can be. I mean, you've described your parents' marriage, and it's sort of dreamy, right? That it, At least the way you've talked about it, it seems like, you know, you were saying at our, on our last show that your dad was happy to be locked in the pandemic with your mom because she's his best friend and she loves to cook. Like, if I, if my mom <laughs> heard you say that, she, her eyes would be rolling in the back of her head and my dad would be like, yup, 
yep, it's dreamy. <laughs> she's like, she's like, okay, well, so one of us is super happy. <laughs> I mean, she's happy, you know, they're, they're, uh, I mean, it's part of their, their beautiful thing that they're going on. Yes. But so there, yes. it's not to say that there can't be couples like that. And, you know, I've known people that really found it in a second marriage, you know, a woman who was like a really dear friend and teacher of mine who was my French teacher when I was in the ninth and 10th grade. And we kept in touch for her whole life until she died prematurely a few years ago. She, when I met her as a 15 year old, she had recently remarried. She had been married, um, to someone who was actually, I think in the ministry and it turned out it was an abusive relationship and she had left young. And then at some point, probably in her thirties, she met her second husband and they built this lovely marriage that lasted until she passed away. And she just, the way she talked about him was so respectful all the time. The way he treated her was really respectful. And, you know, as I got older, she and I talked some about what it was really like to be married. And she would talk about sort of like how she had seen things that had disappointed her in her marriage and how she had coped with it. Or like how, you know, in the beginning, she had thought she'd be the center of attention all the time. And then she had to realize that he had a lot of other things in his life in addition to her. So she just built other things in her life in addition to him. And they kept it even that way. Right. And it just seemed like she figured it out. And so there's something in that that really has beauty to it. And again, I don't know that you have to be legally married to have that. They Mm -hmm. chose to do it that way. And there, I'm sure there's something comforting, again, about the legal contract, feeling like you have, like, a right to help someone in healthcare or financially or whatever. But I'm guessing that the marriage rate for heterosexual relationships in America is plummeting right now. I would imagine. I mean, we've certainly, I think we've talked about the statistic that among divorced couples where the woman is college-educated or higher... 90% of divorces are initiated by the woman. So it's not like 90% of marriages. I'm talking about 90% of divorces. Like when a divorce has happened, 90% of the time, the person who wanted the divorce was the woman as long as she can essentially fend for herself. Mm. 90% doesn't. And so, you know, and if, what is the divorce right now? Is it still around 50%? I don't know. So it's like you've got, you know, maybe 50% of marriages work. You know, people stay together. But then on the other side, in the 50% that don't work, as long as the woman can earn her own money, 90% of the time, she's the one leaving, which kind of runs counter to this idea that men cheat and leave and they find a younger woman. I actually think typically it's women who are not happy, Yeah, which sort of goes with what this opinion piece was saying. You know, if you want to know why more people aren't marrying, ask women what dating is like, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of like... You know, the, uh, this opinion piece was addressing recent work that has encouraged people to marry and stay married and has attributed the lack of marriage or has attributed a lot of social problems to the lack of marriage. Like what? Oh, I don't know if it goes into exactly mm-hmm. what they are, but it's, you know, like children are more depressed because they come from more single family households or, you know... Uh, like in this in this article, um, the author focused more on the positive outcomes for kids when parents are married, mm-hmm. which is true, right? Divorce is bad for children on the whole. On the whole, it's better for things to work out unless there are drugs in the family or like in the parental unit or if there's abuse. In those cases, marriage is not better for children. 
But on the whole, if parents can stay married, that's a better outcome for kids. Of course. Sure. I would, I don't, I don't know. Well, that's just what the that's data just, say. Yeah. Like if yeah. you, you know, there's a woman at like, um, Rutgers in New Brunswick, I think, who did a whole, like she spent Study her whole on career it. on this. Yeah. And so this is like how she writes about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that that means that you have to be married to have that kind of a unit, right? Mm-hmm. And which is what is being pushed, apparently, in some recent publications. Yeah, there's so many different ways. I think we're like the modern American family. It's a wild card. And I know with the girl's dad and I, we, we have a, such a healthy co-parent thing going on that... And we split up a while ago, like 2015 or something. So it's it's been a while. We are able to be more of ourselves, who we are, and be better parents to our children because we're able to, like, it just, if we were together, I think we would have been just a miserable household or just always trying to make it work somehow or doing the mental gymnastics to be happy. Right. But that, that is a unique situation, I think, or maybe I fear. Mm-hmm. Typically, probably, it's sort of like if you're looking at like a research study, there is going to be a sample size of hopefully hundreds of families and hundreds of outcomes. And so yours would be one little dot. And then we have to look at like what's happening on the whole. Yeah. Right. So my guess, and this is sad, but my guess is that you're an outlier, that it's probably much more common for parents to not get along post-divorce. And you, I know that, that you're very are very conscious of what you bring to the table, right? You're, you craft it, right? Like, like you're, you're, not, you're not willing to have a toxic relationship with your ex because it's not good for anybody. No. So, no, and I would rather figure out how to have the best outcome for the children within the structure that we have. Absolutely. And that might mean... And I remember we made a promise, the girl's dad and I made a promise when we first separated that we were never, ever going to say anything negative about the other person in front of the children. So that way we could just, if we had a disagreement or we had to talk about things, we could do that separate. Yeah, well, I hope that people listening who are in that position can really hear what you're saying because there are protective factors you can get a divorce, but if you know that divorce is generally harmful to children, it's not good for children for their parents to get divorced, and you can be aware of that, then you can take care of it, right? You can protect against it. You can say, okay, I'm going to do this thing that if I'm not careful could hurt my kids. So I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to be thoughtful. I'm going to contain my rage at my ex when I'm in front of my kids and maybe vent with my friend or go to a therapist or find some other space for it. I'm not going to be spiteful. I'm not going to seek revenge. All these things that parents do. I'm not going to gloat when I get more, right? There's a lot of stuff that happens between couples that are divorced. That's just ugly. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. And so I guess maybe for some women they're thinking, I don't necessarily want to go through that if it doesn't work out or if I can't find the guy that I think that I have a shot. A shot at what? Getting it right. Yeah. That, that I have a shot at like having longevity. Yeah. Then I'd rather not because maybe I don't want to ever risk having to get divorced. 
right? Or I don't want to be alone with kids if he decides to leave. Well, that was the thing when, when I left, I was, af- I was afraid of that in a way, but I really had to look inside my heart and be at peace with, I think it's more important for me to be alone and risk being alone than being in a situation that I feel like isn't right for me. Right. And also because that can create a pretty toxic environment, right? If you're not happy or you're feeling resentful or whatever it might have been or could have been, and you kind of stay in that, you know, there's certainly a lot of kids who would say, I wish my parents had gotten a divorce because they grew up with like tension, Mm -hmm. right? Unremitting tension. Also, not good for children. Well, that's right. And I feel like there is so much tension in households because when parents don't get along, it just, it takes the warmth right out. Yeah. I mean, there are also a lot of data that show um, the impact of parent stress on child symptoms. Like there's a link between increased parental stress and asthma, childhood asthma. Oh, really? So as parents are more stressed out, children feel it and do worse on a number of measures. Right. And so we want parents to be relaxed and happy. You know, Mm -hmm. we want them to enjoy their children. We want them in a good place because certainly your kid, the children resonate with that. You know, I often think, you know, parents should really appreciate how important their role is in relation to their child because they are the center of that child's universe for a very long time. Yes. Like your child is watching you like under a microscope. They know everything about you. I used to, I remember once picking up my son from pre-K and he noticed that I had a paper cut on my left pinky. Immediately. I, you know, pick him up and he's like, oh, what happened? Aww. And how? how? Because they scan you. Yeah. <laughs> they know everything. Yeah. So we want you to be less stressed out. That's right. But then being a single parent, that has a different type of stress but it's just different yeah that's the thing it's like there's more freedom when you there's more freedom and less freedom in both situations yeah there's more freedom when you're single but less freedom uh on the domestic end taking care of things there's a cost to independence the world really wasn't built for one person to raise a family like that it's just not and then if you're in a marriage it's like you might not have as much relational freedom, but you have a different type of independence. You have a different type of bond and security built in. I mean, I would way rather feel the freedom of choice and the freedom of being able to explore than feel trapped by somebody somebody who's not right for me. Right. And that's why I feel like, well, any type of relationship that I might have or I'm in or feel like I'd be open to would have to really just feel like it came down to the personhood and how I and how I relate to them and how they relate to me. That way you can evolve. You can grow. I still have that freedom. And that, you know, that's certainly one way, you know, like there's so many ways that people feel about marriage or staying in a marriage, Right. I'm sure it's just so complicated and so individualized. I talk to people all the time around issues pertaining to their marriage and what they can and can't tolerate and what trade-offs they will and won't make, right? Sometimes I think that relationships are really just totally impossible, and yet we do it anyway. And so it's a matter of like what what can you compromise, what do you want to compromise, what won't you compromise, Mm -hmm. and it's so variable, you know? 
some and and also there's the whole idea of the individual versus the family and sort of like what do you do for yourself versus what do you do for the greater good these things are big kind of deep philosophical existential level questions a lot of times that i i don't know if you've heard this i'm sure you have somebody who leaves a marriage is selfish right right and that to me it's like uh, okay or it was the easy thing to do was right. leave Right. It gets down to like, (laughs) I mean, I remember like really going through a phase where I struggled around the issue of duty to self, duty to other. You know, I was buying books on that. Sort of like, how do you weigh out your debt to kids or debt to community or feel, you know, feeling like, you know, you signed up for something. Does that become a lifelong duty? And then where does your self fall into that? And I really feel like that's an individual struggle. Like people, that kind of struggle can play out in all kinds of ways, depending on who you are, where you're from, what your circumstances Mm -hmm. are, what you want, again, what you will and won't tolerate or compromise, what your belief system is. I know I felt like I really believed with my whole heart that I would be a better mother, even if I was struggling in one way. I'd be a better mother if I weren't in a relationship that I didn't feel like had that connection that I was craving. And I feel that. Yeah, I and, feel that. And and that to me was kind of the, I mean, that was the reason why I decided to leave because I felt like I was doing it for my children. And but, it wasn't easier. It was harder. Definitely. And I think that I, I, I have no regrets about that. None at all. Zero. Which is really kind of interesting and cool if we just like focus on this story of you That you were able to do that, given what you just said about being raised in the church, because I imagine that the church would discourage divorce. Oh, my goodness. I was definitely, definitely seen as somebody who was making a very, very wrong decision. Yeah. How could you do this to your children? Exactly. I was going to a church at the time and nobody would talk to me anymore. I was like, okay, I guess I'm just done with church, <laughs> actually. Yeah, there were there was people who were saying it's, you know, not God's will and you're getting too into Eastern philosophy, your mind is being corrupted and can't you see that this is, you know, you're falling prey to the devil's work. <laughs> I was just like, oh. I, I think my response to something like that was like, I can see how this is your truth that that's your truth and what you believe. I have a different truth. I don't believe that, but I can respect that that's how you feel and that's how you're living your life, but that's just not that's not what feels like truth for me. And, and I'm hoping that you can respect that. And then did they tell you that they would pray for you? And I said bring it on. I'll take all <laughs> the prayers you want to send me. I'll pray Go for ahead. you, Lois. I'll pray for you to wake up. Go. Yes. <laughs> all of that. Yes. P- please pray for me. Right. I mean, it's sort of like your story is interesting that way, right? Because it's, you know, you had a level of clarity, you know, and I relate to that kind of clarity. I could see extreme bitterness on the horizon, right? And I have seen what that kind of bitterness does to marriages and to kids in the long run. And that was the thing that I didn't want, Mm -hmm. right? Because bitterness can kind of breed contempt and contempt is like a death sentence, yeah. And so why go there? Why not almost quit while you're ahead? 
Yeah. <laughs> when you can still get along and you can still, yeah. you know, cooperatively raise your kids. And I think I also have to remember I was 20 when I got married. Yeah. And we were married for eight years. That's, I was still a baby. Yeah. Isn't it something? Mm-hmm. Isn't it so something? So there's like a lot of grace that I have there. And I, yeah, I don't. I don't know how much contempt or resentment I would have if I had stayed, because I didn't. But I just knew that I wanted to be home less and less. And that wasn't okay. Yeah. Especially as, you know, like, I'm a, I'm a homebody. I like being home. I mean, I like going out and having fun, too. But that, to me, was a giant blinking flashing light in my right. face. Right. Okay, we kind of fleshed out marriage, which is sort of related to the article because the article is saying, why are women not getting married? Why are they avoiding marriage? Because everybody knows just what everything we just talked about. Right. Or women do, at least. Right. We all know it. It's, and it's like, yeah, there's like this illusion of marriage being this, this or that. But it's like, I don't know, some of the happiest marriages that of people that I know, they know exactly what it is. Right. It's not some type of illusion. It's not some type of intense contract they're in it because they want to be in it and i appreciate that in this article it says a line that i think that every woman knows when you're in a marriage and outside of a marriage which is a good man is hard to come by Mm. so when you're in a marriage and even fantasizing about a new relationship or a different relationship you also know it's not it's not going to be as easy as you think it might. Right, right. I don't know if we've had a show on what if, what is a good man. I know we talked about like what was on the internet about what's a good woman. Yeah. I don't know if we've kind of gone into like what that would mean. Have we done a show on that? Uh, we might have. We, I don't remember. But it's interesting to read in this article the things that are missing. Right? Like what women say there isn't. Yeah. Right. And the other thing that was interesting in this article was the repeated kind of pointing out of how little women are asked why, which I think is actually or true. Or what your experience is. What's your experience? But I think that that's true, like, all, all over the place, right? Like, the women are not asked what their experience is. So in this, in this article, you know, the, it's focusing on why aren't women getting married, right? Why aren't people getting married? But really, like, when you read the data, it's women who are generally stopping the process because they're not finding what they want but we're making a lot of statements that they must get married they should get married they should have kids it's good for society without asking women what is it like to date what are you seeing out there what's keeping you what are the roadblocks right and if you get into the nitty-gritty then you might see that things need to change Right. You might see the elements of patriarchy that we've talked about. You might see how masculinity isn't working for anyone. Women aren't loving it. Men are not happy. Men are lonely. They don't know what they're doing wrong. And women can't find somebody who will ask them something like, what's it like? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Tell me why. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's, I think you're depressed. Go to the psychiatrist. Yeah, I also have found, though, in talking to some of my male friends and interactions with men in my life, that there is an uptick of men getting information or listening to podcasts or like there's a movement of men trying to learn how to be vulnerable, learn how to be more emotionally open 
taking a good look at what hasn't been working. Which is great because you have said, I remember this even in our very first show, that you were worried about men and you were worried about young couples. I am. And so if there, if there is a wave coming or happening of kind of waking up, then it's sort of useful that we've gone through this kind of crisis point where people can wake up. There's a flip side to it, like the shadow side I've also found of, okay, you have men really starting to learn how to be more emotional, learn how to be vulnerable, learn how to be honest. But when it's also peppered with American individualism, it still takes the focus off women and onto themselves. Like, oh, I'm learning how to do this. I'm, <laughs> Look at me, me gold me, star, me, gold me, star. Me, me, me. Look at what a great person mm-hmm. I am because I have changed my ways. So yeah, a good man is hard to come by. That sentiment is like, okay, well, we're hoping that there's more men who are becoming more emotionally intelligent. I would say that that would qualify somebody that I would see. Mm -hmm. They'd have to be emotionally intelligent, be able to have conversations without it feeling too volatile, just being able to be open and honest with each other. And there's another part of this article where she says, I've asked my male friends or, some, you know, a person in this article has asked her male friends like, well, can you set me up on a date with some of your single guys? Right, you seem like a good guy. You know, any other good guys? And his response was, well, none of my friends would be good enough for you. And that also kind of leaves us like, well, how bad are men? <laughs> well, how that even the men are like, yeah, you're too good for men. But then where does that leave women? Right. Especially when women are kind of encouraged to get married because clearly humanity depends on it or something. And then women, I feel like more recently and even post Barbie movie or just I think this is the way that the world is going. The high standards and not accepting certain types of behaviors that really does limit the pool having high standards, right. like ethical, respectful behavior. Right. And, and I've gone, I've gone on a lot of, I've gone on a lot of first dates and it's not necessarily to, that my impression is there's like a ton of terrible men out there, but it does feel like there's a lot of men that have, they're not ready. They don't know what they're doing. They're like, and she says that in the article too, that women are like, they're just trying but it seems like men are putting themselves out there, but they're not even ready. Well, I think that too, I mean, my impression is that those men wouldn't know that they weren't ready or they wouldn't know what they were quote unquote doing wrong. Maybe men in the dating pool also might want a relationship, but are having a hard time finding them, finding one and don't know why, because they're still playing, they're playing the playbook. They were told how to be and what to do and they're doing it and being it and it's not getting them the result. Right. And again, one way to know what's going on, what you're doing wrong would be to ask. The light unfolds the path. I mean, what is so hard about asking and maybe ask the person that you're with or ask the person that you saw last? What was it that made me not interesting to you? What was missing? What wasn't in the secret sauce that you're looking for? And please don't say it's not that I was, you know, don't, don't bring height into it, right? It's not about being six foot tall or not being mm-hmm. six foot tall, right? But could, 
could we really learn like what's going wrong? You know, I would love to see that in relationships in general, in terms of emotional intelligence or improved communication, right? If you feel like the person you're with isn't happy, you can ask them about it and you can ask them to tell you about you. You can ask for feedback. We can, Mm -hmm. we can do that. It doesn't have to be this like scary, horrible, toxic thing. It really is a relationship building, mature, excellent communication thing, but we don't ask. Also, I feel like there's certain questions that you can ask when you don't know what to say, or let's say you're having a conversation and you shared something with me and I might not know how to respond to it. There's a few questions that you can just ask just to understand more. Like, well, how did that make you feel? Right. Or how do you feel right now? What's that make you think about? Have you ever felt that way in the past? Has that ever happened to you before? I mean, these are very benign questions that could open up a whole world of understanding and knowing people and like going just like a little bit deeper and go a really far way. Like what is below the surface? Yes, you did this today and this today and this today. And we could do a play by play on how our days went. Yes, what did you do? And it only goes like so deep. But you have to be able to ask questions about what's behind for it to feel like it's actually even going to go somewhere anyway. Right, right. And then this article is basically saying, well, no one's really asking women. There's no research or there's not enough research just even to be able to do the social commentary on it. And there's not enough just in daily relationships. There's not enough asking. We don't know. Right. I mean, I feel like women, it's like almost like an understanding. Right, right. But could it be articulated, right? It's like even in the medical field, right? There's so much data on all the things women are not asked, right? Like the whole medical field was built on men. All the treatments were tried on men. We know that women experience pain differently from men. Women's pain is ignored all the time. We're just not asked, right? We're not asked about what it's like to be us, and that, that, I think, is sort of part of what makes everyone feel so lonely, including men. Yeah. Because women are hurt because no one's really asking them about what it's like to be them. They're supposed to sort of be there for everyone else, but no one's really necessarily considering their inner world, like yeah. their feelings and thoughts. I mean, not no one. Obviously, we're talking about like an average here. But they could. We could ask. We could ask, you know, like, okay, so women aren't getting married. Why? What is dating like? What is, what's missing? What are you looking for that you're not getting? And maybe the people who would want to be dating, you would want to take notes. There was a story in this article about, or like one like piece that was included about a woman who has to hide her PhD on dating apps. Like she won't put it on there because men will feel too threatened. That's sad. It sure is. Right. And then it's like, I mean, I know this from my own experience. There's this whole idea that like men love this idea of the smart girl. The strong, independent, smart. Until they date one. I mean, this is obviously not everyone, but I can't tell you. I've had so many experiences across all kinds of settings where your education is either ignored or you're taught about the thing you know. (laughs) The amount, I mean, although in psychology you can kind of get that from anybody because everybody's an expert on human behavior because they're human. But it is really something. Oh man, that's really cool that you're educated except don't make me feel dumb. I had a little bit of the opposite of that. I was in a relationship where since I don't have a college degree, 
I was treated like I was stupid. I don't think that I'm stupid. Hardly. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that I'm pretty perceptive about certain things. But it was almost like since he was very academic and I was not, there was just, it would just seep through the way that we communicated. And it wasn't all the time. But if there was a, a, a place to be able to get a power grab, I would feel it. And I'm like, I don't like that. Right. It's almost like when you have those kinds of whatever discrepancies, the couple has to be aware of it. If I'm with somebody who has a different kind of, I don't know, educational level from me, I can be aware of that and not, not want to be perceived as talking down to or not want the other person to ever feel like that matters to me at all. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I should have to hide it to make someone else comfortable. But I no. also don't think it's a tool that you would ever use to make anyone else feel less than. Exactly. Neither of those need exactly. to happen. Neither of those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this article was this article was pretty interesting. And I'm just going to say it again. It's why aren't more people marrying Ask Women What Dating's Like? And it's by Anna Louise Sussman. In the New York Times a couple weeks York, ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely... It was definitely. Oh, and then another thing that she mentions was to meet someone who when you say something or if like when a woman says something to a man that might have some weight to it, that he won't just roll his eyes and say something about, oh, her being on her period or or she's emotional or just what does she say? Dare I say the word feminist? Women hesitate to use the word feminist when going into relationships with men because they're just going to roll their eyes at them or have a certain view of what type of woman she is. Yeah, yeah. And I feel that a little bit. Like, I mean, I'm not afraid. Obviously, I'm not afraid to use the word feminist. The show's called, this show is called The Everyday Feminist. And I would say very strongly that I'm a staunch feminist. But I also believe we're all equal so why would I have any relationship with any man who isn't a feminist? Yeah. Yeah. But knowing that so many women are also hesitant to even say, I want to feel like my gender is equal to yours. That is very, very problematic. Yeah. I was thinking about that lately. Remember you showed me that Instagram post by your friend's daughter where she was talking about um, Black Lives Matter. Oh, yeah. Like, so she's a young, powerful black woman and she makes this video where she's speaking to the camera and she says, if I say Black Lives Matter and you hear I hate all white people, then I don't even know. She says, I don't even know. I'm go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. Just go like go to the doctor because saying that black lives matter has nothing to do with whether or not you like white people. Yeah. It's just saying black lives matter means can you treat us well? And I was thinking about that in, in just with the word feminist. If I say feminist, if I say I am a feminist and you hear you hate all men, then I don't even know. Go to yeah, the doctor. I don't even doctor. know. <laughs> like, because <laughs> why would why would being a feminist have to be equated with man hater? Well, like it's just and, and also how egotistical of you to think that my feminism has anything to do with your maleness. But that's what we talk about this a lot is this is where I get worried about men because they will be left behind if they're all if they are viewing any woman who wants to speak for equality as problem 
that's just not the way the world is. I mean, unless more and more and more laws get overturned and women just keep, you know, and they keep setting the clock back in our political system. Who knows, honestly, these days, like right. it's you, looking bad. If we're going to like force women into marriage, I guess we're going to force women into marriage, which hopefully won't happen. But if so, then you've got a wife that hates you. Didn't want to be there. Didn't choose this. You think that's going to be fun? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe you'll have to stone her to death. I don't know, but you're not going to be happy. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds, I'm sure, pretty extreme. But it's, it's, it's what you're saying, right? It's like I too can feel really worried for men who don't want to get on board with just listening, right? Nobody's saying I hate men. No one's saying that. It's what we're saying, kind of similar to what JJ Bola said on our show, is. We, we want you to do better. We don't want you to be alone. We want to connect to you. We want to look out for you. We love you. We love you enough to like want you to kind of be in this mess with us. We, like, we want to date you. Mm-hmm. So be dateable. Yes. Like don't yeah. just blame me and call me a feminist and say that, you know, I must have my cycle going. And if I don't like you, there must be something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Right? If I say feminist, it doesn't mean... I hate men. Those are completely separate. Mm-hmm. It means I want to be treated fairly. I want to be treated equally. I want you to hear me. I want to be valued. I want to be registered. I want to be not invisible. And those are the types of things that honestly give, like it makes women, it kind of forces women into this feeling of having high standards. Which then, it's like a lot of these men who might have been married for 20 years, reliant on a woman. Woman doesn't want to do it anymore because they're not happy. But they've had 20 years of not really knowing how to do it. And then you have these women who got out of these relationships who expect a lot or want more. There was a reason that, I mean, I feel that way. It's like, there's a reason that I am single now. There's a reason for it because I have high expectations. And if that's intimidating to some, okay, I would rather be patient and wait. And it's not necessarily because, you know, I feel like I could hear some people being like, okay, well, there's compromise. You have to love people or be open to who they are. And nobody is perfect. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, all of that. Yes. But there's this other part of it. Respectful behavior. Do I need to compromise on that? Right kindness do i need to compromise on that curiosity what are you thinking about how was that for you tell me more about that those are things that i will not compromise on and somehow that has distinguished me for having high standards right it's so sad what's considered a high standard in other words yes and so why aren't people marrying ask women what dating is like i think what they're saying is the dating pool for people with these so-called high standards of wanting to be treated basically human is very small. Or just that there's more. I, here's another thing I've noticed. I don't think men, and she actually alludes to this a little bit in the article, is women do a lot more of the work. They do a lot more of even the chasing. And that to me is really annoying too. That's, a, that's another thing. that I'm just like, nah. If you if you want to be in a relationship, you got to let me know that. I'm not try, I'm not going to try to chase you. I'm not I mean, I'm here. Yeah, let's go. Let's hang. Let yeah. Or hey, do you want to go do this thing? 
And I really have found that like women do most of even the planning or even the amount of times that like I've had to pick the place. I've had to plan the date. I've had to do the work. I'm like, this is not a good, right. It's, it's not a good first step, right. That you, I mean, um, it's like, which is, I can hear men being confused, but I don't want, you also say that men make all the decisions and so I'm just trying to not make the decisions. I'm just trying to not to include your voice. I don't want you to feel like I don't care what you want. Mm-hmm. Right. And so sure, that's a counterpoint, but all those things can be talked about. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Hey, would you rather me pick the place? Are you tired? Are you tired of doing all of the picking or are you somebody who it's important to you that you have a say? Like we can ask those questions. It doesn't have to be a big puzzle that you have to solve all by yourself. Right. Like women have the capacity to tell you that's what they want. And hopefully they will. Or I was recently asked, we could go here or here. What are you, what are your preferences? Right. Oh, well, I've never been there. Let's go there. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. So here's the, here's the paragraph that you were talking about. And then I think our time's like wrapping up. Mm -hmm. Is it? Oh no. Okay. So navigating interpersonal relationships in a time of evolving gender norms and expectations requires a level of emotional sensitivity that I think some men probably just lack or they don't have the experience, this author added. He had recently read about a high school creative writing assignment in which boys and girls were asked to imagine a day from the perspective of the opposite sex. While girls wrote detailed essays showing they had already spent significant time thinking about the subject... Many boys simply refused to do the exercise or did so reluctantly. Mr. Cox likened that to heterosexual relationships today. The girls do extra and the boys do little or nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's powerful. Yeah, that really is. Write an essay, a creative writing assignment, write an essay from the opposite perspective. I mean, let's do that in our relationships. If you're in a relationship, a heterosexual relationship or maybe any relationship, Write a, write an essay or write a story about the day you think your partner had or what it's like to be them. And if you come up short, then you're not doing your job. Mm-hmm. Right. There's nothing wrong with saying, tell me more about you. What is it like to be you? Are you getting what you need? How can I love you better? Yeah. I mean, really? Yeah. yeah. There was a story that I, I might have mentioned this to you before, Stephanie, but my daughter was in class. It was right when the rope papers came out that they, that row was going to be overturned and they were talking about it in homeroom she's 16 and she looked over the room and she saw how all the boys in her class were like zoned out and she was like how come as soon as something that pertains to a woman like no one's even interested anymore it just doesn't feel so unfair which is which is on that topic problematic because it really does affect the boys yeah quite a lot yeah I mean, I guess you could, if you become a teen father, you can bail. You really don't want that. No. Right? Yeah. Well, this was like, oh, I like this. This was, this was fun to talk about. It was, Although fun. It was kind of, It's like kind of sad, but also fun. It, it was, thanks. I think so too, you know, and I was thinking maybe we can talk about this sometime in the future, but it, it kind of sort of links to how we're ending, which is, you know, when I'm saying, how can I love you better? Like I've been thinking a lot about the whole notion of unconditional love and the expectation that people have. And in particular, like at least in my world, I hear it from men 
or I hear it as a thing men say or want or expect, this unconditional love notion. And I do not think unconditional love is a thing. I do not think it should be a thing because in unconditional love, you're never asking, how can I do better? And we should all want to know how can we love the other person better. We should ask what they need. There shouldn't be just this expectation that I give you nothing and you love me. No, absolutely not. Like, we want to cultivate that. We want to build connection. We want, you know, or maybe if there is unconditional love, it's some kind of like invisible ghost-like thing that really doesn't have love in it. And we want that. I think that that right there is the perfect teaser for next week because I have a lot that I, I would like to talk Let's about that. It. Let's do it. We'll be back. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Germantown, we love you. We love Germantown Community Radio. You know, you know. We, I mean, we, I don't think we've said this for a while. And it's not a fundraising drive, but you can always go to gtownradio.com and just donate. It's a good station. I love it here. I love being in the studio with you, Stephanie. And if you like the shows, share them. It, it means a lot and it goes a long way for us and it makes us feel like we're doing something right in the world. Right. Yes. Yes. And I really was thinking about the importance of community radio, especially right now in kind of this unpredictable world that we live in. Yeah. Um, and also a disengaged world yes. to help support radio. Like radio is present. Radio is in the moment. Radio I mean, we turn these shows into podcasts, but if you're really listening to radio, radio, it's temporary. You catch it and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Right now in the technology world, it seems like so, it seems like such a beautiful fleeting thing. <laughs> I agree. Like I, I kind of love that part. Yeah. yeah so definitely feel free go to gtownradio.com and give us some coins, please. Well, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. See you later, Germantown. Bye.